John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Hello, cinephiles, and welcome to a live preview. I am Steve Morris. Hello, everyone. I am John Roca. And you know why we're doing a live preview? Because we have a live show coming up this Sunday, and we are not doing one, not one, but two, two movies for the price of one. You know, we, we pitched this on our, or we uh, we explained this on our last live show, Steve. We talked about how we we're going to tackle more Marvel movies this year, more crowd pleasers, and these kind of qualify for that. But certainly the Marvel stuff is what we were focusing on. And so we've been doing these Cinephiles live shows every month, and this is our newest one coming up this week. We're going to talk about Hulk. And we're going to talk about Iron Man 2 in celebration of doing these when they came out like 10 years and celebrating the anniversaries if they've if it's been 10 years. So these are the two we're going to talk about. We didn't think they deserved the full cinephiles treatment, but we did think they deserved a discussion with uh, with us and with you all who are going to be joining us live at 4 p.m. PT on Sunday to talk about both of these films on the cinephiles live, Steve. You know, our plan is that we're going to just follow the 10 year anniversary, but we got catching up to do because there were a bunch of movies before 2012. And these are the second and third movies of the Marvel cinematic universe. They are very, I just finished watching both of them. They're, they surprised me in a bunch of ways. Yes. Um, I cannot wait to talk about them. Um, as always, you can buy or stream uh, incredible Hulk and Iron Man two from our website, cinephiles.net. And speaking of our 10-year rule, we posted on social media recently, what was your favorite film of 2012? And we got an incredible, incredible bunch of responses. And John and I discussed those responses, reading some of them on the air and sharing our own opinions in an upcoming Cinephile short, which comes out tonight, which you can find on patreon.com slash the Cinephiles. So just come join us, 4 p.m. PT on Sunday, The Cinephiles Live, talking about Hulk and Iron Man 2. And don't forget... Your bird, bring your bird. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Cinephiles Live. 
here on the Cinephiles YouTube channel. I am the outlaw John Roca, joined as always by my co-host on the Cinephiles, Steve Morris. Stunning Steve Morris. Steve, how Stunning are you? Steve Morris. Are we going to do some Marvel-style alliteration for this one? <laughs> are you going to be jocular John Roca? Oh, jocular John Roca. I like it. Uh, but we are going to y'all live. You know, we've been doing these Cinephiles live shows every month, kind of a way to kind of take a little bit of a break between the regular shows that we do and also a great way to interact with you all and touch base with you all and talk with you all. So we're going to have some fun today. Certainly Super Chats and Streamlabs are open for those who who are feeling kind enough on this Sunday afternoon, evening, or morning, whenever you're paying attention to us, us, wherever you're watching us, rather, all over the world. And we do have many international fans of ours. So please send in some donations as we go along. Talking about today, two Marvel films, Iron Man 2, and The Incredible Hulk, the return of Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, the introduction of Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow in this movie, the uh, the incredible hamminess of Mickey Rourke, uh, and, of course, Sam Rockwell as Justin Hammer in Iron Man 2. And on the other side, in The Incredible Hulk here, the second whole film we'd had in a concerted amount of time, this one kind of officially, unofficially, part of the MCU for sure, coming after Iron Man, and this one by Louis Leterrier is the director who did this one, a French director. Liv Tyler uh, coming in here to take the Jennifer Connelly role of, of Betty Ross uh, and uh, having now Edward Norton stepping in for the Eric Bana uh, uh, version of the Hulk here. And uh, we're introduced to an interesting exploration that uh, spans different continents, different cities. We get William Hurt. We get Tim Roth as Abomination. So, Steve, we're going to talk about all these films and hear from the fans as well. Why are we talking about these Marvel films? We announced it last uh, Cinephiles Live show, but can you let the fans know, maybe who didn't watch that one, why we're tackling these Marvel films and focusing on these Marvel films on the Cinephiles going forward? So we have been getting, literally since the beginning of the Cinephiles, what are you going to do Marvel movies? We want to do the Marvel movies. And of course, not all the Marvel movies are 10 years old, and we have this pesky 10-year rule, which we're going to, there's going to be some fudging of, I think, over over the next few years. I think (laughs) John and I have decided that it is not a rigid, hard and fast rule. Right, right, exactly. But, but the people have been asking about it and i am a completionist that is like i there have been so many comic book series or book series where the series gets worse and worse and worse but i still have to keep reading them i can't not do all of them Mm -hmm. and so we started talking about well there certainly are some fantastic marvel movies that we really want to do the full deep dive on yeah but we also kind of want to check in on some of the maybe less than fantastic ones and at least talk about them in a more casual way. And that is what we're going to do. And so because it is now 2022, Mm -hmm. we have to catch up to the 10 year anniversary, the Marvel film shot in 2012, which is the Avengers, which is going to be an interesting conversation. Right. In order to do that, we have to get through uh, incredible Hulk, Iron Man two and Captain America, the first Avenger before uh, the Avengers. And Mm -hmm. that catches us up. And then from that point forward, we're going to do these episodes approximately on the 10 year anniversary from the release date. And, and this is the thing is that if it's an awesome movie, we're going to do it in a, in the full way. If it is a, Pretty good movie. We'll do a live show. And this one, it seemed appropriate to do two in this live show. <laughs> These are generally, I looked at, you know, some of those lists of ranking Marvel movies. These are rarely near the top. Yeah. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, you know, as uh, some of you know who listen or watch our show uh, on the Cinephiles, you guys know I've been doing a Marvel that's right uh, rewatch yeah. on Stereo, which is taking a little bit of a hiatus right now. Um, as and did it all last year with uh, the Lady Outlaw. In fact, we we're this weekend it was our one year anniversary of doing the show, which is kind of crazy. That's and nice. we watched everything. And I will tell you what, revisiting Iron Man two after having seen all of these Marvel movies was a much more pleasurable watch. The Incredible Hulk doesn't 100% really feel as part of the MCU as you're watching. It really feels kind of out of step. And certainly you can tell that this is before Feige really understood what he wanted to have after the success of Iron Man uh, with Jon Favreau. He was still kind of figuring out what the overall feeling and look of this was going to be and it feels a little out of step are there still some good moments within the incredible Hulk? yes certainly the battles with abomination the stuff on top of the roof the look of uh, of um uh, the hulk with edward norton all of that really works and i prefer um i do prefer jennifer Connelly over betty ross but uh, over uh sorry over uh, Liv tyler but Liv i like tyler. the chemistry here better than the chemistry in the ang lee film uh, between Edward Norton here and uh, and uh, Liv Tyler, but there's some stuff to just so it's it's. I would encourage people to go back and rewatch these movies now that you've watched all the MCU movies up to Eternals. I think was the last one, uh, and kind of revisit this movie, and you might find a little bit more than you think in Iron Man too. Certainly, Steve, as I mentioned, Scarlett Johansson, but also the introduction of Don Cheadle replacing yep. Terrence Howard here as Rhodey as Rhodes. In this film, we also get the introduction of Wakanda as a map behind mm. Tony Stark there in S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, uh, people might not know this, but Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson apparently was not going to come back as Nick Fury. There had been some very furious negotiations, so lack of a better term. He did not like what they were offering him, and it wasn't until they offered him a nine-picture deal oh. that he ended up committing, recommitting back to playing Nick Fury. So there was a lot of moving forward. We all take it for granted now, Steve. But in 2008, 2009, 2010, things were still kind of in, in, in flux about how successful this uh, franchise and the MCU overall was going to be. Well, I don't think, at least I didn't have any inkling mm -hmm. of what they were. I was just like, oh, we're getting a film about the Incredible Hulk. The idea that these movies were going to be linked, that yeah. we we're actually going to create a universe. Yeah. That never, it, I mean, uh, nothing like that was ever going to happen. That just would seem right. insane. If you had come to me in 2007 and said, listen, this whole thing is going to be, they're going to do all of it. And yeah. we're going to get to the internals and the garden to the galaxy. <laughs> I'd be like, you're high. Yeah. And so, and I think they were really just figuring out. I'll tell you though, I, my expectations were very low. I hadn't watched, I hadn't watched either of these movies since I saw them in the theater. I see. I see. Okay. And, and uh, they, they both exceeded my expectations. Right. Now my expectations, as I say, was very low. Right. So I, I enjoyed them. And, mm -hmm. and it was funny. Like I also was kind of putting myself back in my 2008 mind. Yeah. Cause what do you think of the Angley Hulk, by the way? I, I think it's okay, but I think it doesn't hold up. Like I love the way the panel stuff that he yeah, does. It makes it feel yeah. like a combo come to life overall, but it feels too, how can I say it? too ethereal too like the fountain too way out there yeah. to be a Hulk film. I get it that you can have elements of that, but overall, when you're watching the film, it feels like I should be high. I should be altered because this is clearly the mindset that Ang Lee went into as he has an artistic point of yeah. view as a filmmaker. And he's a fantastic filmmaker. Certainly there's a lot of 
uh, dreamy sequences in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, and you look at this film and it feels a bit out of place with what the actual vibe of the Hulk is. And it was an intelligent approach, no doubt, but it didn't 100% work for me, even though I loved Sam Elliott, even though I did enjoy Jennifer Connelly as Betty Ross. Am I saying that right? Or Betsy Ross? Is it Betty, Betty Ross, right? Yeah, I get those Betty. confused all the time because one Betsy one did a flag, flag yeah. and one did not. Right. Um, and I did, and I thought Banner was a bit miscast as Bruce Banner. He's because I get why they did it, but it doesn't hundred percent work. And certainly the idea of Nick Nolte as his dad with the with the Hulk dogs and him being able to you know absorb the properties of it just was really and the mom thing. It just was all really weird um, overall. So. As far as taking swings, it was a nice swing, but this felt a little bit more of the Hulk that I know from the comics, this version, the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. So, so first of all, I was just looking at the comments, and Kyle McDonough, you are absolutely right. I forgot to mention Thor. We have, That's another one we have to get done. Yeah. And, but the nice thing is, by the way, after we do this, a bunch of them, many of which will be live shows yeah. in the first half of this year, then it's just one or two Marvel movies a year. Right, you know, exactly. It's not, it's not going to be that much. So calm down, Kyle. We're going to get to it, but we're doing a treatment of Thor. We're, this is live because we didn't think these two films merited our deep dive normal approach. And Thor, directed by Kenneth Branagh, starring uh, uh, Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman, I think merits us taking a look at this one and breaking it down and doing the, the cinephiles treatment you want to do the that, full cinephiles on thor well, well well that might change is what i'm saying but yeah. we, that's the approach we had so we wanted to pick these two films because it's past the 10-year mark and we've already done iron man so logically hulk was up yeah. next and we've got thor in negotiations right now between yeah. steve and i to figure out if we have <laughs> okay i yeah we'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it it's, yeah, we'll it's, definitely it's, talk. i'm more thinking about like our schedule is already booked for the yeah. first six months of the year. Right, There's a lot of true. stuff we're going to do. Well, maybe um, the back half of the year. We'll see. Uh, so yeah. so my feeling, I totally agree with you about the Ang Lee film. And it was so yeah. funny because I think that's 2003. It's I'm still grateful for superhero movies in 2003. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Because we never thought there were going to be movies. And the fact that you know we'd had X-Men, we'd had Spider-Man at that point, yeah. I think. That that to go like and now we're getting the Hulk and and I remember watching it and going man this panel thing is so cool and it's so interesting and yeah. that doesn't quite seem like the Hulk's character and that's sort of weird and I remember just walking out of it going I don't know what that was yeah and for me honestly the most important image of the Hulk is the Bill Bixby Lou Ferrigno TV show oh yeah and Absolutely. so. I mean, that was like one of the best shows on TV for me as a kid. Yeah, That's what locked in. I mean, I read some of the comics too, but it was really the TV show that locked in my thing about what the Hulk is. And this movie clearly, clearly is referencing that. Yeah. yeah, And it gets that much, much better. Yes, it does. And you even have the slight um, theme slide in every once in a while in this the Incredible Hulk, the original one from the 1970s, you have that theme from the 1970s kind of slide in in certain moments really deftly uh, for sure. Um, and you you do get a good Thunderbolt Ross, by the way, still a part of the MCU. So mm-hmm. they did take pieces yep. of this. And certainly we saw Abomination and Shang-Chi. So Abomination will be coming back in Armor Wars. Um, ironically, uh, the same series that, uh, that uh, uh, Don Cheadle will be leading um mm. as a war machine so just really interesting how these two as we're talking about it kind of have some interlacing uh shoelaces for lack of a better term that they are putting together here in one series in armor wars 
uh, coming up. And look, I liked, and this was Edward. Let's talk about the Incredible. This is Iron Man. This is, um, sorry, Edward Norton. Uh, at a time when he's just at the end of that Edward Norton thing, yes. and, and people are kind of you hear all the stories about him, the American History X story, the the fact that he was rewriting the Frida stuff, he was dating Salma Hayek, I think, and then Courtney Love afterwards, and so there was rumors coming around very powerfully that he was a dick. And listen, yep. yes, I know a majority of women do get hassled in Hollywood. They call get called the B word when they're tough, when they're strong. But there are some dudes who also get painted with that brush. And uh, deservedly so. And certainly Edward Norton was one of those guys. And there were multiple examples of his stuff. And I think Hollywood was getting done with dealing with Edward Norton. And uh, and the public as, as well was not clamoring for more Edward Norton films. Um, and so this was an interesting decision to make him Bruce Banner. Because when I think of Bruce Banner, the, one of the last people I would think of is Edward Norton. So what did you think of his portrayal of this character here in uh, in the incredible hulk so in general i like it okay in, in general i like it it's fu- it's so funny because that there is that era that, that's like you know what 95 to 2001 that's peak ed norton you yes. know and and you know yeah. we've talked about fight club obviously on the cinephiles yes. you know there's american history x he's in you know people versus larry flint and you're like wow this is and he's such an interesting actor mm-hmm. and it was very clear i remember even from the fight club uh research that we did that that he was very involved in that script and like you know wants to get his hand and and the guy's super talented yeah and And certainly intelligent yeah oh yeah and it it sounds as if you know fame and rapid fame is not generally good for people you Mm -hmm. know and it sounds like a lot of that went to his head i mean i think from what I've read, because he when he took the gig, yeah. part of him taking the gig was that he got to rewrite the script. Right. And from what I've heard about the original script, I'm really glad he did. Yeah. yeah. Because the, the the more TV show kind of stuff, the sort of sad, lonely guy wandering the earth, mm-hmm. that came in the Ed Norton script. That was really right. his thing. And it's also interesting is that he, the Writers Guild, did not give him any credit. Mm-hmm. on this it went to the original script guy and from what i heard about his story they're not the same right and so i th- that's a really weird one but i do like him in general i think he brought more of an insecurity and depression and sadness yes to the role and i think that's and which is interesting too because that's not what mark ruffalo is yes right. really different from his portrayal of banner yeah, uh, Matthew Gramlich says, I'm a sucker for the neurotic cerebral approach, cerebral approach Edward Norton brings to his performances, uh, and no doubt. Uh, uh, but that cerebral stuff can sometimes rub people the wrong way. So Zach Penn was the writer, uh, uh, credited yeah. writer for The Incredible Hulk, and he kind of rewrote a number of scenes or a number of sequences in the film to make it seem a bit more palatable. So it's a great point you bring up. We could have got an even worse version of The Incredible Hulk. And let me ask you a question, Steve. Why do you think they can't get the Hulk right? What is it about the Hulk? Oops. What is it about the Hulk that they can't quite get right? Well, I think they do so, get him right as a supporting character. Right. You know what yes. I mean? Like, Ruffalo like in, in Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok yeah, yeah. He's awesome. Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Mark Ruffalo is great. And I think, I, I, A, I think the Hulk has the same problem as Superman, which is that he's just too damn powerful. Right. He's very hard to figure out what you can do with him. I think the uh, particularly if he's at the power level that we're talking about for the MCU. Um, I think I'll tell you one of the th- I, I think the element that really works is 
what works for me in the TV show is the is the psychological element of it. Yeah. And I think this movie, uh, here, I'll give you, I, I've now stumbled enough that I can give you an actual answer. <laughs> okay, Go ahead. here's what I actually think. All right. The whole key to the Hulk is psychological. Yes. The whole key to the Hulk is that this anger is part of Bruce Banner. Mm-hmm. It's not when I get angry, I become this other thing. It's that it's that this is a person with psychological problems. Yes. He had psychological problems before he became the Hulk. And then the Hulk is the manifestation of it. And the journey of Bruce Banner is one of self-healing. Yeah. You know, and to some degree, it's interesting that we go to Professor Hulk and we skip seeing how he got there. Right. You know, right. It, because that's the whole that's the whole idea is that, in fact, he has to deal with his own shit mm-hmm. in order to and figure that out. Yeah. By the way, one of the things that is on one hand really smart and on another hand, I totally fucking hate. Yeah. Which is the watch that gives his pulse. Oh, and if yeah. his pulse gets up to 200, he turns in the Hulk. So I don't know if that's in later comics. I know some of the stuff like the super soldier serum is from like ultimates and stuff. Yeah. Are you ready to hook out? I know. I'm saying it helps. It helps. Yeah. It keeps you. It keeps you. It, who knew that they were predicting Fitbits before they were Fitbits? Yeah. That ahead. ruins the Hulk. It right. ruins it because if he, because there's a scene where he's hooking up with uh, Betty Ross. Yeah. I had to think about it that time too uh, <laughs> with Betty Ross and his heart rate is going up and it's like, oh no, I might Hulk out. It's like, no, you won't. The Hulk is about anger. Right. It hasn't it doesn't mean you could Bruce Banner can run a sprint and yeah. get his heart rate up and not turn into the Hulk. If you make the Hulk just about the heart rate, you miss the whole point. Right. That it's which emotional. Like, which is why I like that they kind of brought that back a little bit, Steve, in the Avengers, which I know we're gonna get to down the road when Ruffalo says that's the key to to that's I'm the trick. Angry. Uh, yeah. I'm always angry, you know, when yeah. he's trying. So you make a gr- excellent point that it is he can call on it, it is always there, and he can call on it. And the fear he has is that it can call, he can call on it at the wrong time, right? And, and, yeah. and, and hurt people. And I think, I think what Edward Norton was trying to do was a version of, as you said, the Bill Bixby Hulk. Mm-hmm. And what the Avengers and and Ruffalo are doing are a completely different version of that. Uh, that it's it's not about the fact that he can't turn it on; he can always turn it on. It's a matter of when to turn it on. And the fact that they made it a joke in Ragnarok when he jumps off and lands on the Bifrost Bridge, I thought was brilliant. I like yeah. that. That makes it seem as if he's a little more human, vulnerable. You can, you know, can, uh, you know, kind of connect to him and whatever. And, and, but here he's certainly an interesting character. Did you like the look of the Hulk? Remember, we had the Eric Banner look and it kind of looked like Banner a little bit. This is a Hulk that doesn't look that much. Like Edward Norton, but the CGI seemed to have been it seemed to have gotten better from Ang Lee's Hulk to Louis Leterrier's Hulk. Well, I'll tell you the thing that I like the most is mm-hmm. that one of the things I think they do better than maybe any other Marvel movie, yeah, is the Hulk is scary. Yes, in this Very movie, true. like, like because and particularly that they withhold you seeing the Hulk for a while, right? And then when you do first see him, you see him in the shadows in the dark, so you're seeing more the effect right. that he has. It's almost like a horror element to it, yeah. I think that's an element they get the best. Yes. I think the CG is certainly better than what was in 2003. It's definitely improved. It's funny. This Hulk is really big. Yes. Really bigger, I think, than than what we see later on in the Avengers movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, I like it. Um, it. It's funny. When you get into big CG fight scenes, 
I think again, I, I remember the final action sequences, which I think are in San Francisco in the 2003 Hulk. Yes. And yeah. I did was not a fan of those. Mm -hmm. And these are much, much better. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I like the look at it. I think they still haven't perfected it. What do you think? Yeah, I like the look of it. So I'm looking at it right now, some pictures comparing it to uh, the. I like, let me bring a shot up here because I, I want to make sure uh, I, I give this shot to people and see what they think about it because I. I like the fact that he's big, but yeah. he's not fantastically big that you like lose the element that this is a human being. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm, I'm going to bring this picture up here and this is when he sees Emil Blonsky. Um, oh, I've got too many pictures. Hold on. Let me kill some pictures here. But yeah, when he's coming up on Emil Blonsky on him and, 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 sh and kind of coming and seeing him and they go like, face to face and what he looks like when he sees him, that I think is really interesting in terms of comparing the body types. Look right here, you see that, right? He's massive, but he's not so massive that he looks like he is like 20 feet taller or, or, or 20 feet right. wider than Emil Blonsky. And Tim Roth, not the biggest guy either. No. So it totally works. So I like this version certainly a little bit more than the version we got with, uh, with uh, Ang Lee's version and Eric Bana. Um, and I like the fact that you're right. Like the idea that he is scary and ferocious and horror inducing. I mean, when he screams and shatters the mm. glass at the college and jumps out and does all this kind of stuff and throws tanks and fights and gets in Blonsky's face and kicks the crap out of him. Um, even though Blonsky has taken the super soldier serum, it is really something. Um, and once again, you know, the thing that I discovered as we were going through, these MCU movies, revisiting them from my other show on on Stereo, was that Super Soldier stuff, Steve, is all over these early um, uh, Marvel movies. Uh, and certainly you could argue him turning into the Hulk or him becoming the Hulk is a version of the Super Soldier stuff, just in a different way. Well, that's I, I guess this comes from some of the Marvel Ultimates. Yes. Is that that's where they started to incorporate the Super Soldier serum into the Hulk story. Right. Um. It's so funny to go like, man, Kevin Feige, he was thinking about stuff. Mm -hmm. Like he really did have a vision. Yeah. I don't think he could have envisioned where it's gone, but did have a like, no, we're I'm my plan is to do all these other films. Right. right. Like whether or not he was going to get to do them, who knows? But he was like really thinking about it. I think including the super soldier serum as part of the Hulk mythos is really cool. Yeah. Um, I I also kind of go. Oh, just back to the scary thing. I wanted yeah, sure. to say one of the biggest things is that it's very clear that the Hulk has hurt innocent people. Yes. And and even could kill innocent people. And so that is key to the how horrible it is for Bruce Banner's character. Yeah. And I think that, again, is something they do really well. I think when you get to like uh, Age of Ultron and the Hulk goes nuts, we don't have the we don't feel the impact of no. it the way you do in this movie i think yeah. Even i mean that's Avengers, a... when it comes out of the dark against black widow sorry go ahead steve sorry. no no you go ahead no no i was just saying go finish your point i was just interjecting that to add on to your point that yeah. even him coming out of the darkness with black widow and avengers is scary on the helicarrier right? yes that's totally true yeah. i mean but but in that age of ultron thing where the hulk goes nuts i mean yeah. he could have killed hundreds of people we don't really know yeah but we don't really spend and we know that he's upset about it but we don't really spend a lot of time examining it whereas this it's like he's remembering you know oh my god i could hurt somebody it's yeah. really scary he is scared of turning into hulk 
I also think it's interesting, by the way, I think they actually did shoot an entire origin story, mm-hmm. um, which they didn't include, which I'm really glad, you know, we yeah. don't didn't need another origin story. Apparently there was an opening where um, which they shot. But I don't. Maybe it's a deleted scene somewhere. But I haven't seen it where he's like in Antarctica. Did you? Know, you know yes. about this? And then sees uh, Captain America yeah. in the snow. Yes, I've yeah. seen the deleted scene. It is up on YouTube for people to watch. But you see, him. it's a quick shot. It's a mm. quick shot. It's not like they dwell on it. It's a quick shot. But he is there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what, what, what do you? Think? But, oh, go ahead. So go ahead. We're going to ask another question. I was going to ask what you think of Tim Roth. I I I have such conflicted feelings with Tim Roth, and I tell you because. He's another guy that gets some uh, some chatterings behind the scene that is a bit of a yeah. jerk as well. Certainly people on Lie to Me, I've heard from a number of people uh, on the, in the production of, a lie, of Lie to Me who said he was very difficult to deal with because he didn't really want to be doing the show. Uh, and so that's what I'd heard. Now, is it 100% true? Not, from, not as Tim Roth says it or somebody who's an executive right. producer says it, but that's the stuff I'd heard from other people who've been PAs or extras on the set. So these are the things that I heard. So to me... I've always liked Tim Roth from from uh, Reservoir Dogs on, but he's always been an interestingly aloof character. Like Steve Buscemi is the American Tim Roth, much nicer, much more connectable. You can sense some more empathy, but Tim has this air. Like even in Rob Roy, he's a fantastic villain in Rob yeah. Roy because he is so just sociopathic in his portrayal. And so here as Emil Blonsky... It is, he's almost like Thunderbolt Ross's id, right? A superego. Totally, like, yeah. He's, he's willing to do the stuff that Ross can't do because of the limits of the military and laws and restrictions. Blonsky breaks the rules all the time, and Ross is always covering for him. So in that way, I like that Roth brings this menace, this equal amount of menace in, in a human way to the Hulk's menace in an altered gamma radiation way. They match, which is why when he becomes Abomination, it's more ruthless and brutal and scary um, uh, than the Hulk is. And so when they fight at the end, I'm down with it. Do I think they 100% fleshed this character out that it was super interesting and you could connect to this character? No. At times it was one-dimensional, very service-level villain, and I would have liked to have seen a little bit more with Blonsky to go behind the scenes. And maybe we'll get that uh, in Armor Wars because he's coming back as Abomination. The fact that they showed him in Shang-Chi, having an interaction with Wong and being friends with Wong, hmm. there may be a kind of shaving down of Abomination to be a little more connectable. But I liked it for the most part. I just felt it could have gone a little bit deeper. What did you think about Tim Roth in this? So, so first of all, you want to know where I, fir- I first discovered Tim Roth? Sure. Is in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, yeah. where it's him and Gary Oldman. And uh, oh, someone just Dave put that up. said the same thing. Yes, uh, I, I watched. I haven't. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I remember loving that movie. It's a great play. Yeah. Um, a fantastic play. I have always liked Tim Roth. Yeah, I can't think of an, a performance of Tim Roth's that I didn't like. Mm. Um, and but I'm sure there are some. Um, you're absolutely right. In Rob Roy, he's a fantastic villain. Yeah. I think he is great every moment he's in this movie, and I don't think they do his story arc very well at all. Mm-hmm. You know, like I th- I understand the idea that he is obsessed with, you know, b- the being at this physical perfection and being this ultimate warrior kind of guy yeah. and that and that the super soldier serum sends him around the bend a bit right. um, and makes him make these terrible choices. I understand that's what's going on, but I don't feel like we spend enough time to really feel that mm-hmm. and be interested in his character. But I do think the point that you make is really right, which is that. He actually can't. He, you don't feel it's ridiculous him standing up against the Hulk. Yes, that's amazing. Yeah, you know, 
He's like he's like when you walk when you walk a big dog and these little dogs come running out to try to like talk shit to the bigger dogs. It's you're just blown away by that. And so th- there's a ter- certain kind of hubris uh, that has to come along with that. Now the dogs don't understand size and all that clearly, but someone like T- Tim Roth, even though he's looking uh, at a guy who's immensely bigger and more powerful than him, there is a hubris or an arrogance or an ego that he has to see if he can hang with this guy. He like some men are challenged by mountains. They must climb them. And I think right. the Hulk is representative of a mountain to Emil Blonsky. He must climb this mountain. He must conquer this mountain. And so he's driven to do so throughout the whole movie. Um, how did you feel about the Betty Ross uh, banner stuff? Did you like uh, Liv Tyler first as Betty Ross? And did you like, their connective tissue, their chemistry, their playful moments, the thing when she yells at the taxi driver, all of that. Did you did you like those little moments? They're okay. That's <laughs> good. I, I don't think they're bad. Okay. I don't think, again, this is just, it's so funny. It's it, I, I think the movie could have been longer and that they, oh okay. Because it's, it's like, it's under, it's just like right around two hours, I think. Yeah. And now we have these Marvel movies that are two and a half hours, two hours and 45 yeah, sure. minutes is that it takes us like 40 minutes before we get to Betty Ross. Right. And then they, and then they reconcile just way too quick. Mm-hmm. And it, so I don't feel like they really develop. And, and it's weird too, because these are two actors that are playing the parts of, of two other actors from this other movie. Yeah. And so they're kind it, it, it's a really weird situation because they're going, this is kind of a, a sequel i think they call it a a, a requel like it's yeah, a, a requel yeah it's a reboot slash sequel and yeah. so what they're saying is is that we want you to be remembering the relationship established in a previous movie between two different actors yeah. in a very different style film and therefore when they show up we have that emotional weight to it but that doesn't work right you know it's like and so they're fine together right but I don't have a strong feeling for their relationship. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I how can I say this? I think Jennifer Connelly is a much better actress than Liv Tyler. Um, and I liked her version of Betty Ross. There was such a pained, angsty, um, uh, I don't know, devastatingly vulnerable approach to her Betty Ross that worked for Ang, Lee, Ang Lee's Hulk. I don't know that it would have worked in this version of the Hulk. And so you go with someone like Liv, who of course at the time was coming off those Aerosmith videos, the uh, Lord of the Rings movies. She was kind of an actress that people were seeing in things, the Mm -hmm. strangers, I think it was, but never really a damn good actress, in my opinion, never. I mean, good, just not damn good. And at times, and sometimes really not good, depending on the situation. And so putting her up against with uh, up against Norton, I think was fine. Norton certainly had attempted to have good chemistry with her. I don't have a problem with it, but I think Betty Ross is someone who should have a lot more power to her as an actress, a lot more. I mean, think of Carrie Coon. Imagine Carrie Coon being Betty Ross. That's a whole nother approach, a whole nother um, uh, uh, version of Betty Ross that I think would have really worked. That Betty Ross, you can see standing up to her dad. That Betty Ross doesn't come off as impetuous or um, I don't know, just she comes off a little childish at times when she's mad at her dad, when she's having those things. And I just I think there could have been someone who has a little more depth and a little more complexity to her as a person that could have brought out even more to a Betty Ross and maybe even challenged Norton to step up to the plate and deliver an even more nuanced, layered, complex performance that could have really solidified a very um, 
memorable romance for a lot of people in the MCU. But in the end, it doesn't 100% get there. And I think you make an excellent point. If you're relying on another movie to do the work for you, that is just, just a big mistake, in my opinion. It's a cop-out. You, you you know what's so interesting, and this is what always happens when I talk to you, is that is yeah. that you're you're you tend to look at things more from the actor perspective. Oh yeah. And I tend to look at things more from the story perspective. <laughs> and so and so here's here's what here's what I actually think. Because I'll always blame writers before I blame actors. Oh, okay. Um not always, usually. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like if we talk about what's wrong with the prequels, even though they're not good performances, it's the script. Yeah, you know, first. Very true. Here's my thought about about this character. I don't think they made any interesting choices with her at all. That's fair. And, and 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 so what I would do, it's like they did. So they have the origin story in sort of a quick, scary flashbacky thing at the very beginning yeah. of the movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that and it's very clear in that that the Hulk has injured, you know, people, including Betty Ross, right? Yeah, right. What if she was scared of him? What if she believed that he needed to be captured or controlled? What if she saw the news story in Brazil and now she's opposed to Bruce Banner mm -hmm. and that he then has to win her over or she's going to use her because she's a scientist too, use her intelligence to trap him in some way. And that then we would have a dynamic relationship. And that if he then proved something to her and then yeah. she switched to his side, well, that would be more interesting. But then what does Ross do? Because that's the, that's what Ross, that's Ross's job in the movie. And he, yeah, you know what? I, I so I would say two things. One yeah. is that he, you could have him convince her, to, you know, that he that mm. she ends up siding with him, and then realizes that he wants to weaponize Hulk stuff, and right. so then she ah. switches sides. Yeah, you know, yeah. like the, the like. In other words, we can have more dynamics because right now she is just I love Bruce Banner and I'm going to help him. Yeah, yeah, which is fine, but not that interesting. Okay. You know? What did you think about, speaking of Ross, what did you think about William Hurt? I mean, someone both of us knew from the 1980s, had won Oscars, um, you know, had kind of solidified him. Then, but this is now the tail end of William Hurt's uh, career as a lead or as a, as a someone to be uh, factored in as a selling point in a movie. Did you like him stepping in as, as opposed to Sam Elliott in the original Hulk movie as Thunderbolt Ross? I think, and I mean this in not a mean way, I think he's cashing a paycheck, ah. you know, like and he's yeah. good. He's not yeah. bad. He doesn't. He's a really good actor. But, okay. you know, what do you think? I liked him. And I, th I think William Hurt's always going to bring what he can bring to a role. That's that's the way I look at it. I think William Hurt's always going to bring what he can bring to a role. But he's never been the most warmest guy. He's never been the most um, a guy that you will attach to when you watch a movie. He's he's always somewhat aloof. Yes. introverted in all his portrayals and, and i love him as an actor even in in the big chill when he's a little more like kind of smiley and stuff he's still kind of keeping his distance you know and i loved him in children of a lesser god the accidental tourist which nobody talks about is a fantastic film with great performances from him and gina davis and kathleen turner and so there is people need to remember and so the the i love that this is around this time where he's starting to come back up into people's eyes and then later when he does history of violence he is menacing as vigo mortensen's brother in that film so for me here he does the job but i yeah. think sam elliott is a better thunderbolt ross i don't buy stoic um yuppie william hurt as thunderbolt ross i do buy cowboy sam elliott as thunderbolt ross that is more believable to me 
I'm 100% with you. And it's so funny because Sam Elliott is the kind of actor who is Sam Elliott. Do you know yes, what I mean? There's right. certain actors who it's not like it's not that he can't act. It's that he always brings what he brings. Yeah. William Hurt is this strange. It's so hard to describe. There's a strange emptiness, coldness, yes. yeah. removedness of him. He's which when it's, He's got yeah, a waspishness when, to him. Yeah. And when it's put in the right role. Where yeah. you where there's layers to it, it totally works. Yes, agreed. And here it's just like, yeah, he's kind of a cold fish. Right. I mean, it's again, again, you know, I go back to script too. He doesn't have the most interesting stuff to do other than being I'm the bad guy, you know. Right, right. And what about Tim Blake Nelson? Uh, what did you think about his role in all of this and how they essentially the whole plot is driven by his communications with Bruce Banner? And then eventually we see him, of course, have the stuff drip onto his face. And him becoming that supervillain. What do you think about him? I think it's totally uh, not taken advantage of. It's yeah. it's weird. Like, okay, because you have this, you know, good two thirds of the movie where it's like he's emailing with this guy. Yeah. And uh, it just seems very strange right. to me. And then and then the I, there are two ideas or three ideas that happen. Idea number one is we're going to suppress the reaction that turns you into the Hulk. Right. Which I don't think they'd make enough of a big deal about. Yes, they have him jump out of the helicopter and crash in the ground and become the Hulk. And it's a little harder for him to become the Hulk. But right. I think he should have gotten his ass kicked. You know what I mean? I Ooh. think you should have taken that a lot farther. Right, right. You know, and make him desperate. You know, because, well, and this is like go to is like, it's just more that could be there. If psychologically, I hate the side of myself that becomes the Hulk. And then... I destroy the side of myself that becomes the Hulk. And then the only way I can do what's right and save the world is to recreate that part of me that becomes the Hulk. <laughs> well, that's really dramatically interesting in terms of character. And yeah. it's kind of there, but it's not really there. The yeah. idea that we have, he's replicated the blood. And so we're going to yeah. use it to do all the stuff. We don't really do anything with that. And then, and then, of course, he becomes, you know, the leader at the very end, but we yeah. don't do anything with that either. So it's, it's, he's sort of, um, I always like him on right. screen as an actor. Yeah. Always enjoyable. If I can uh, recommend a, a, a film of his called Old Henry that came out last year, a fantastic Western, small, but incredible Western that if you haven't seen this and it's on a streaming service somewhere, do yourself a favor and watch them. And you know, I know about Westerns. It's a fantastic effing film. So, yeah, I agree with you. Tim Blake Nelson, always good, always worth it to have in any project you could fit him into. And certainly here, he comes off so earnest. And so mm -hmm. you get that mix of nerdy excitement, science excitement, and then also um, uh, fear. You know, he is constantly in a state of both throughout until those stu that stuff drops on him. And I'm sure they had plans that he would come back as the villain in the second movie if this movie had taken off and there had been a sequel to this and there had been an Incredible Hulk franchise you right. know, with Edward Norton. So I'm so, I'm curious because the Universal owns the rights. So I wonder if they'll ever let go of the rights or work with Marvel as Sony has to try to create an Incredible Hulk movie because if certainly we have a She-Hulk series coming but, they, but I do think Ruffalo deserves his own movie at some point totally. uh, to explore this because we're seeing him in all these different facets of him uh, in uh, as a side character or an ensemble character in a film, but he needs to be leading his own stuff at some point down the road. Uh, now, you're a director, Steve. What about the direction of this movie? I mean, I think there's, a there's some fantastic sequences or shots, certainly. I mean, her, uh, Betty and uh, Hulk sitting on the cliff and all like, 
Are there are there things that you in, in liked about the direction of this movie, or did you not like the direction of this movie? I I think I like Act One the most. Okay, I like the Brazil stuff. I like the reveal of the Hulk. I think that's all really well done. Yeah, I like how they establish his character and even his you know broke journey back to the United States. I think right. that stuff is working really well. And like the first him not wanting to see betty and trying to get out and then share seeing him i think all that's done pretty well okay um what about you yeah i mean i i think there are elements of it throughout that i enjoy there are sequel and certainly that final battle the ferocity of the final battle the con the massive change the concrete mm. all of that felt so overwhelming and i love that we got that vibe with the hulk overall i liked though did i think the overall fight was well staged no because there are many people that died including Michael Kenneth Williams, who has a 10-second or five-second cameo running out of one of the stores, right. um, the late, great Michael Kenneth Williams. But overall, I felt like I enjoyed him fighting the Hulkbuster armor. That, to me, was a better staged fight in a public area than what we got with, uh, with Abomination and then eventually you know, on the rooftop and all of that. But the helicopter stuff, I liked. Uh, the stuff with the rain and the cave and her and 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 her and him out there that was a great shot um but i do find and, and letterier is you know he did the transporter transformer porter movies he's not the greatest of directors no. and certainly from the school of luke besson and besson himself is uneven with his uh with his films but uh, i thought it was a, a valiant attempt but overall not that inspiring or not that exciting of a direction uh for a film like this that you really want to have uh, have a little bit more it's funny ang lee brought all this intellectual nuance to it leterrier brought all this action if you had somehow could marry these two films together i think you'd have had a damn good incredible hulk film same thing with the cast if you had somehow been able to take norton with jennifer Connolly, sam elliott uh maybe mm. cast someone else as abomination and then maybe that works uh in, in melding these two films together i think that's the crime of both of these films is that both of them are half of a good movie uh and if you put them together you'd have a whole good movie that's you know you know what's occurred to me and it's mm. exactly why we're doing this as a live show mm. there's so many movies that you and i have done where the more we dig into them the better they get yeah sure oh, you absolutely. know we just find all sorts of oh my god well this could mean this and did you notice that and this and this movie like i said i was sort of it exceeded my expectations right I was sitting and, you know, relaxing. I was like, it was a totally fine way to spend a couple of hours. Yeah, the yeah. more we're talking about it, the worse it gets. Well, yeah, fair. You know, fair. like it's that, like enjoy it for what it is. It is what it is. And then don't think about it too, too much. Right. Because then you just start to find stuff that might be wrong with it or could have been better. Yeah. You know. Sure. And, and just to correct myself. Yeah. Uh, uh, Abomination is coming back in She-Hulk. As Mackenzie points out here, not Armor Wars. My apologies. Sometimes I get these uh, series mixed up. Are you excited for the Abominations return of the upcoming She-Hulk series? I am, especially because the rumors are, Steve, that Ruffalo is going to make appearances here. So we may have this a repeat of what we had in this movie connected to the Ang Lee movie. We may have a repeat in the mm. She-Hulk series where we have to take the elements of Edward Norton as Hulk and Tim Roth as Abomination and bring those elements into a Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk and Tim Roth as Abomination sequence in, in She-Hulk. Good be. Curious. I, I've always liked the She-Hulk character, so yes. I, I I really hope they do it well. It could be it could be a lot of fun. And again, what when Marvel is good, 
they managed to be able to hit a slightly different tone, yeah. but remain in the most. So you can have the really weird stuff of WandaVision or Loki, yeah. and also uh, have you know the Hawkeye Christmas special, like <laughs> like, and 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 they have different tones, yeah. and you're still kind of okay. Yeah. Um, and if they could get sort of a, the fun lawyer She Hulk stuff, I would like that a lot. Well, I mean, Tatiana Maslany is as an incredibly fantastic actress, very versatile can play multiple uh, characters as well, over black, but also multiple um, um, points of views, multiple feelings throughout any kind of project. So it's great to see that she's going to be taking that on. I'm looking forward to it. And that's We're not that far away from seeing a trailer for that. We're not that far away from seeing some first elements or shots or whatever of this. And this is supposed to be a more, uh, is this going to be like a fantastically huge She-Hulk? It's supposed to be a different version uh, for sure. Um, all right, let's uh, let's answer some Streamlabs super chats here. A few of them come in, and ladies and gentlemen, please send in your support for what we do here on the Cinephiles. The Cinephiles Streamlabs address is uh, it should be in the chat there. It's in the description of this video as well. It's uh, it's uh, streamlabs.com slash the Cinephiles. So send in some stuff here. Matthew Grimlick says, uh, "Best of luck on this MCU project." Thank you, Matthew Grimlick. It, it'll be decades. It's a decades long project, John. <laughs> <laughs> I there will be some day where the cinephiles will end, but yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know when that'll be, but, but yeah, I don't know sure. what it'll be. <laughs> we shall see. Um, J and B says, uh, no specific questions yet, just wanted to, but just wanted to thank the both of you for your great work on this channel again. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, very kind of you. Um, and uh, here, Spencer James, Spencer underscore James says, Hey, John and Steve, you mentioned that you might end up doing some reviews of new releases on the Outlaw Nation channel. I'd love to hear you guys talk about Don't Look Up. There have been differing opinions over the past month, and I'd love to hear yours. Oh, Steve, have you seen Don't Look Up? I have not seen it yet. Okay. Maybe that's uh, something for us to explore, especially with the Oscar nominations coming out on Tuesday, maybe revisiting a film that might not get any nominations because of the backlash for it. Could be fun later on this week if we had time to uh, view the movie and and review it together. I'm so out of things, I don't even know what the backlash is, so... Oh, yeah. Well, maybe when we review it, we can talk about it on the back end. Um, And then also, of course, uh, Steve and I have spoken about doing a review for the new Bill Cosby documentary that's out from... uh, Series that's out from uh, W. Kamal Bell. So that is something I'm working through right now. uh, And I'm working through Reacher as well on Amazon Prime. That's so much fun. I've Um, heard good stuff about Reacher. How far far are you in the Cosby one? four episodes in, and that dude is massive. That's what I heard, yeah. He's massive. Now... Is it TV acting sometimes? Yes. But overall, this is a much better approach than the Tom Cruise version of Reacher. That's for damn sure. Um, all right. So I'm going to pin it in the chat here real quick. Again, the uh, the address uh, for you guys to send in some support through Streamlabs. Steve, let's talk about Iron Man 2. Um, let's do it. What What is your feeling after you said it, ex- revisiting both these movies, your expecta- they exceeded your expectations revisiting them all these years later. What's your feeling now when we talk about Iron Man 2 overall? I so I've I have several different thoughts. Okay. The, the the first is I totally love Mickey Rourke. Yes. I, I think I think casting him was a stroke of genius. <laughs> I think what I love is that you know where I said William Hurt was you know cashing a paycheck, and maybe that was unfair. Yeah. Um Mickey Rourke is not. 
Mickey oh. Rourke is full on oh, yeah. going for what he's going for. Uh, also, there was some point I was taking notes as I was watching it, and I and I wrote Sam Rockwell is a national treasure. Like he's just <laughs> he is a joy. There were certain moments where I was going like I feel like he's channeling Rick Moranis from uh, Ghostbusters, <laughs> like in certain elements of his performance. Um, I feel like it's going to be a weird thing to say. Mm-hmm. I think Iron Man, the first movie is a B-plus movie with an A-plus performance from Robert Downey Jr. Okay, fair. That, that's what I think. I think he elevates that movie because he's just, his charisma is just unbelievable. He's just so charming and interesting. I don't like him as much in this movie. It gets mm. really, you know, and I understand that's what the movie is. Right. Him, it's, you it's know. cockiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and him spiraling down into depression and right. addiction and all this stuff. But I just... I just wasn't enjoying him as much on screen. I was enjoying other stuff. Um, I think like plot wise, I think, you know, the roadie stuff, Mm -hmm. I don't, it's not, it doesn't hold together that well, but there are individual moments that I like quite a bit. What about you? Yeah. I liked the movie much better than I remember liking it when I saw it in the theater. I'm a Mickey Rourke Stan for all his nuttiness. I enjoy Mickey on screen when when they use him correctly. Remember, this is around the time where we had the Mickey Sans a little bit, the work of Sans, yeah. if you will, because of the wrestler. And then, of course, that terrible Immortals movie where he's the villain eating peanuts randomly in the middle of uh, the, uh, I don't know, the back time of the of Rome or whatever that was, or Greek, whatever it is. I don't know what it was, but it was he was doing a weirdness. But him coming in with this, I was excited. I remember being excited because I was like, oh, yeah, Mickey Rourke is great. He's got that menace. You don't know what he's going to do. He's an unsettling actor. This is going to be so much fun to bring this element into an Iron Man 2 sequel. Um, and I will say this, for the most part, I enjoy it much more than I remember enjoying it. Yeah. But the way they treat Black Widow, the way they speak about Black Widow, when you watch it now with 2022 or 2021 eyes, it is really uncomfortable. And, you know, back then we laughed about it. We thought it was funny because we, we we thought that was okay. You know, some of us thought it was okay to talk about women like that. And when you watch it now, it really feels like a bunch of middle-aged dudes leering at a young woman who is trying to do her job. Now, she's fully capable of kicking their asses at any time and shows it throughout the movie, but still... It's. I mean, essentially, they talk about it literally like she's a piece of meat. In front of her. In front of her. And that is just so weird to see now in retrospect. Um, And, you know, and Scarlett Johansson worked really hard on this. She she trained for six months. Um, You know, she dyed her hair red to get the job. She did all kinds of stuff to be a part of this. You know, it's so funny now how she has climbed out of this all this stuff around black widow and some of the fact that she never got a uh, lead movie until recently and now she is like sitting pretty making the money she's a force she forced disney to their knees to negotiate for the streaming situation for these marvel movies i mean she's a woman of power now and to have climbed out from where we see her at that moment where she's still figuring out who she is in the world of hollywood to where she is now it's incredible but overall yeah enjoyable love the chemistry with him and don Cheadle. Love the war machine stuff. But yeah, he's not a likable guy. And listen, let me tell you something, people. Tony Stark in the comics, not a likable guy. So he, he's kind of a jerk, a dick. Half the time, a rich boy, a privileged uh, mofo. 
Uh, and so having someone like Robert Downey Jr., the charm of Robert Downey Jr., that's what saves his character from being someone you actually could kind of hate. You know? So first of all, I'm glad you brought up Black Widow. I wish I had mentioned her in my initial comments because, A, I totally agree with you about the stuff said about her. Yeah. And, B, I think she steals every scene she's in. Yes, I absolutely. She's great in, in the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so – it's really interesting when you have a – not great guy character as the lead of your movie and you have to do a really specific kind of dance yeah and i think in the first iron man movie and in later stuff not in iron man 3 necessarily but in 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 the avengers films and stuff like that they yeah. really get it right and i think this is the one where he's so obnoxious yeah you know and like the drunken birthday scene where he starts shooting things and it's all just like i don't like this because because the thing is is he needs to be a charming rogue who yeah. you have problems with but he continues to charm. You continue to be fascinated with him. And he just kind of turns me off at a certain point. Yeah. Um, I also think one of the problems with the movie is you have this great bad guy in Whiplash, Mickey Rourke. Yeah. He's basically never interacts with Iron Man other <laughs> than the scene of the racetrack. Yeah, it really you know? Monte which Carlo, is a, yeah. Yeah, which is a cool introduction of the sure, character. Sure. And then he's in some room working on technology and interacting with justin hammer right you know? justin hammer gets him out of there and then recruits him and, and then sets him working on all those uh, robots so they can go against him and only shows up right at the end you're right to to face tony stark in the meantime he's messing around with his bird i need my bird uh all the time you know the and then we it's justin hammer who really kind of takes over the movie as the main villain from mickey rourke and becomes the person who goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with tony stark uh, inside and outside the suit um, throughout, you know, but they never turned Justin Hammer into a legitimate equal partner to Tony Stark in terms of being able to like with juxtapose that with abomination, like Emil Blonsky with or without abomination uh, serum inside of him is an unsettling guy um, with Justin Hammer. He's just a funny trying to be this all. He's like a, he's like an after, he's like, what do you call it? He's like a clone of Tony Stark. Like a clone of Snoke that's still in the thing. Yeah, the he's, a, he's a wannabe. Yeah. yeah, he's a wannabe. So it does. It never feels like he could actually take over Tony Stark, and all his weapons don't work, and all this kind of stuff. So the movie, I think, kind of. I mean, the writing or the plot kind of fails or, or undercuts Justin Hammer when he could have been a bit more of a um, dangerous villain or antagonist for Tony Stark's protagonist. You know, it's funny. The same thing is happening that happened with Incredible Hulk, which is the more we're talking about it, the more I'm finding flaws. And like <laughs> what, what one of them is that, you know, we have a character journey. Yeah. And the character journey is that Tony is sad and depressed and becoming increasingly self-destructive. Right. And what they do is they go, well, once he finds the cure to the palladium, whatever, and the yeah, art yeah. thing, then he's fine. <laughs> And and so he doesn't actually deal with the actual character things. Yeah. So 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 in the first movie, he does have to learn important life lessons that change the kind of person that he is. Yeah. In this, he doesn't actually. He's just a tremendous jerk. And then, oh, I'm cured. So forget about all that. Right. And and the um, Whiplash character, it's like, okay, he wants to get Tony Stark. And then we just don't he, we don't see him doing anything. And yes, we understand that he, he has a plan. Right. But he's not we're not advancing him in terms of the story. And and you're totally right. Justin Hammer is who and I like I said, I love Sam Rockwell. Yeah, I think of course. he's I think he's, he's great. Yeah. He's great. 
Um, but he's not an interesting antagonist yeah. at you know for Tony. So there, there's a lot. Like for instance, if like the I think the idea with Mickey Works character is his dad hated Howard Stark because he got right. ripped off for something. Yes, is that instead of Tony discovering that his father was actually cooler than he thought he was which mm -hmm. is kind of what happens in the movie if he discovered his father was less cool than he thought he was yeah because uh because mickey works character showed him that then we would see them interacting more you know what i mean right. like like i you know what this is what i would have done okay tony should have hired whiplash <laughs> cut justin hammer and it's the exact same story uh-huh is that is that he says you know palladium in the heart? That's a terrible way to die. You want a darker? There was no way Disney was going to do a darker Iron Man too. But I get. I I'm not making. I don't think I'm making it darker. If you if you hire if you, if he hires Whiplash and then sees that his dad was a dick, that is well, a darker approach. Well, his dad was a dick. I mean, yeah, that yes and no. I mean, because we do have the scene in the elevator with him and Tony uh, in uh, Infinity in, War. Yeah. Or, yeah, or was it Endgame? Endgame. 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 Yeah, yeah, which really, you know, is sweet. Yes, that's true. Yeah, I, I think if you do, if you go and Steve, look, legitimate route to go. In no way am I saying that isn't a good route to go. It's just that you you completely change the MCU afterwards, and that interaction, that father son interaction, now becomes something akin to what we get in Black Panther. Right, because he finds out his father well, lied to him well, about leaving the son. You know, well, that's that's what I think is. I think yeah. there is a there is a tightrope that could be walked. Mm. Of you discover th it really is it's exactly Black Panther. Yeah. You discover things about your dad that are less savory, right? But then you also discover things that are really great about your dad. Yes, you know, yeah. is that um, and maybe that because then there's a journey that he has to heal something psychologically. Right. Um. Well, and it, and but then you. I mean, you, you'd have to change a whole bunch of stuff, <laughs> you know, because yeah. Tony's not going to break Whiplash out of jail. That's no right. And that's that kind of stuff he's not going to do. And, and um, he does have issues with his dad. They're more for in fact, my dad never told me he loved me, or my dad. Yeah. Th those kind of standard cliche issues that we've seen in other movies. And he does go on a journey throughout the MCU that leads to that elevator scene and kind of closing the door. Certainly, the fight in Civil War. Uh, between him and, and and Bucky and Cap is about the fact that Bucky kills his parents in such right. a cold-blooded way, but it's more about the death of his mom being choked right there through the door. That is really what kind of inspires the anger here, but it is his, the unresolved feelings with his dad, like being robbed of the chance to resolve things with his father because Bucky kills his dad. You know, there's there's elements of that that play through. So I get, I totally think it's a valid thing you've brought up. It would just be kind of handling differently. The tightrope thing is a great point. You'd have to walk that really, really well. Um, yeah. What, but speaking of Howard Stark, what did you think about how he was played here um, uh, in the film and how he was seen as kind of a Disney, a Walt Disney type thing with the future of tomorrow, you know, the future of Tomorrowland or all that kind of stuff that you see in that, footage that both of us have seen growing up yeah. going to disneyland or disney world for walt disney um by the way i just read a whole book or listened to a whole book about the making of disneyland and it is fascinating <laughs> and as much as much as walt is there's some problematic things about the guy yes there are he's uh also 
Well, you know, it's so funny. He is so amazing in what mm -hmm. in listening to this book and his drive yeah. to continually make that place better. And he would, it was funny. Uh, I just went to Disneyland with my friend Matt Garcia. I know it's a digression. Mm -hmm. He would so hate so many of the things, the way that Disney is charging people tons of money and that you now have ways that yeah. you can pay extra money to get to go to the front of the line. Yeah, that is all this weird classes stuff that he would have been totally against. But anyway, um, <laughs> this is a digression. Um, a, I love John Slattery. Yes, I, he's just he's one of those actors who I, I just to, he's always good. I think the idea that he's Walt Disney ish is fine. Yeah, the him turning to camera and talking to his son Tony, it just does. I don't doesn't make any sense to me yeah. that this would happen. And him leaving clues about another element in the design of a mat of a you know of a diorama. It's just ridiculous. Like, no, I mean, it's just, it seems like a kind of clever idea, but yeah. why would he do this? <laughs> like, why would he take the risk that the most important discovery is yeah. just randomly hidden in this diorama? I, it doesn't make sense to me at all. I, I prefer the Dominic Cooper, Howard Stark from uh, Agent, um, oh God, why I can't remember her name right now. Agent Carter. 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 Yeah, and from of course the um, uh, first Captain America over this Howard Stark, and then I prefer the original Iron Man Tony Stark over this Tony Stark here, who's a bit more darker. And you know, it's a fascinating thing they did with this franchise too. Uh, separately, the Iron Man franchise, Steve. Something, something I would love to hear your thoughts on here. You start out with him at the beginning. He's a cocky guy who's uh, he doesn't take anything seriously, blows shit up, and then gets yeah. captured has to kind of see the humanity of things, builds this thing to destroy all these terrorists. And of course, a lot of people now in retrospect look at Iron Man as a bit of a racist film in certain ways. Uh, and I can understand that. Uh, but then, at, you know, by the end, he's kind of understanding he has to fight Jeff Bridges, that Obadiah Stane, and kind of reclaim the legacy of his company and his name. Right now, he wants to not have the weapons used in these wars throughout. Great. Then the second Iron Man, you immediately go into this darker turn with him, dealing with his daddy issues, the alcoholism, the frustration of it all. I mean, him it's really tough to see him being drunk in the suit. That is tough, man. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, all of that is with the party, as you mentioned, where he's shooting stuff. Pepper Potts having to kind of, and we should talk about Pepper a little bit, her role in this film. And then into the third film, which is PTSD and dealing right. with all of that. So I get what they were trying to do. But I also don't think maybe that was the right route with the Robert Downey Jr. version of Howard Stark. You know, I think someone, I don't know, someone who's, who could play those with a bit more um, of a devastating impact for you as a viewer, I think would have been the smarter route if you recast it. Not that Robert Downey Jr. isn't capable of playing those moments, but really the depth of those moments, I don't think I've ever seen him do in anything, you know. Uh, it's funny they they face the lethal weapon problem, which is that you have a character who's suicidal in movie one, and then he's healed at the end of movie one, right? And then you have to mess him up again to get back there in movie two, yeah. you know? Because and so and and I think they successfully. Uh, I don't like lethal weapon two as much as lethal yeah. weapon one. Lots of people like it more. I think they successfully do that for Mel Gibson. I don't think they successfully do that for Tony Stark. Yeah, that's fair, you know. But also because I think Mel Gibson innately has more menace to him than robert downey jr i would imagine i mean they're both fucked up people yes <laughs> but, but 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 yes i'd say that's probably true <laughs> they have um, robert saying some really inappropriate <laughs> shit on tape so um ranger uh, donald saying gravitas could be a word word yeah gravitas someone with a bit more gravitas absolutely yeah um uh 
what what I I I had a thought and I, my thought went away. One thing I will say, by the way, yeah, the 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 montage of him tearing apart his lab and whatever to oh, build yeah, yeah. this, M, I think it's so stupid. Nobody <laughs> <laughs> like you can convince me or you can suspend my disbelief that he, with a hammer and a forge, can build the iron the first Iron Man suit in a cave. Right, right. right. I'll suspend my disbelief that way once, okay. but him, it's like you have the Iron Man suit. Why are you? carrying things without like you you have a super strong suit and all this technology around you why are you doing this the way you're doing it it just is not i don't it, it just seems ridiculous except they favreau shot a really good montage yeah you know yeah, yeah you know so i i don't know i think i think what they're doing with his character it's funny iron man in the avengers movies I like much better than Iron Man in the Iron Man movies. I think I agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you see him play much more. I mean, those that when he finds out what uh, Winter Soldier did, and then when he finds oh, out yeah. that um, Steve has lied to him or betrayed him with that information by not telling him, it's, it's some great acting there by Robert Downey yeah. Jr. Absolutely. Uh, let's get to a couple of questions here. Streamlabs uh, from Carol donated. Thank you, Carol. It's, it's a hi, John and Steve. While I loved Sam Rockwell in the movie, Mickey Rourke, not so much for a specific reason. Was there no one on set who could help him with his Russian? I speak the language, and about 90% of what he said was not even close. It was painful. Yeah, I mean, Steve, talk about that. I mean, he says it was a Slovakian accent. He did all this research. He actually went to a, a Moscow, a prison in Moscow to speak to people who were Russian prisoners there. He said he had a great time talking to them, and they were very kind and warm to open up about their experiences in prison. Blah, blah, blah. This is a whole other level of commitment. He paid for the bird. He right. paid to have the gold in his teeth. So all of this. So clearly he was committed to doing a great job with this role in his weird kind of outlook on the world or weird kind of approach to things in the world. And apparently he added a lot of things here to Whiplash that weren't there before. But that accent, just like Malkovich's accent in Rounders, a lot of people came after that accent. What are your feelings about well, as a fluent Russian speaker, I can <laughs> certainly no. So, so I, this is an area. How many times have you watched someone who is not Latino or not a native Spanish oh, speaker speak yeah. Spanish, and and how often is it any good? Yeah, right. I mean, it's just. And this is the thing: if you have any special expertise, in general, you will probably find fault with someone who is now in your area of expertise. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so if you are a ballroom dancer and you watch someone who has to had a couple of weeks to learn how to be a ballroom dancer you're going to see that it's not that good mm -hmm. you know um i i i totally believe that mickey rourke did what he says that he did to right. learn how to do this stuff but it's actually really hard to learn how to speak a language as a native <laughs> speaker that's really really tough so i it's not surprising that it's not that good but you know that is that is what it is in yeah. movies yeah but you're right i mean uh, but you know, Mickey's not the kind of actor who's going to be like, hey, can you get a Russian dialect coach on set? I'm really going to listen to everything they have to say. For him, he wanted to do it his way. He wanted to present that character his way with his blue and all of that. So, you know, in, in a way, it's a cheesiness that I don't mind, but I can totally understand Carol being upset about it. So as me, as many people are upset about the, Ma the Malkovich thing in Rounders, Brian Koppelman said no one on set was going to tell John Malkovich not to do that accent that way. No one wanted, no one was at that level where we could tell John Malkovich not to do it. So what, what, what's so funny, the accent's, yeah. the accent's terrible, but I like the performance. I, the performance is great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, On both sides, I think. But yeah, certainly 
John Malkovich going that's By the way, speaking of Ed Norton, yeah, um, that's a, I yeah. like rounders a lot. By the way, I, oh, yeah. it, I don't know if we'll ever do it on the cinephiles, but I totally would at some point. I would do. I watched it again uh, a week ago from back from front. To Did back. you really? It's a fucking great movie. I, I love, love that movie. movie. Right, well, maybe we'll do it. Okay, we're redoing the schedule. <laughs> yeah, put it on the back end <laughs> sometime in August or September. We'll do it because I remember seeing that in London with mm. uh, with Mike with Vogel. Oh. We I took him, I took him and uh, whoever else was. With, I think Josh was with us, and we went to go see it and had a really good time with that movie. And it has stayed with me ever since. I love the music in this movie. In that movie, I love the direction of that movie. It's a good Gretchen Maul performance. Certainly the the Edward Norton. I compare it to Goodfellas. Not that it's at that level. I mean that there's a great intro beginning to this movie, and you sense there's danger here with the Joe Pesci character. That's who Edward Norton basically is. And then there's that back half of the movie that is essentially the 70s part of Goodfellas when it's all over. And it's tough, you know? And But then you get a fantastic back and forth with him and Malkovich at that table that is just genius, just absolute genius i, I totally get the goodfellas i don't know if this is the part you meant but mm -hmm. one of the things it's very goodfellas like is that it teaches you about this world and yeah. how it works yes and this very lays it out for you um it's funny i think i was out of town too somewhere when i saw it i remember seeing mm -hmm. it in the movie theater and i remember because this is early matt damon it's you know it's like a year after uh uh goodwill hunting yes and i i love this movie i yeah. think it's really good yeah, uh, I like this. It's Carol sees the, Carol following up saying uh, there have been plenty of actors that have done a much better job for sure. Florence Pugh was really good in Black Widow. I agree, but you can't. I mean, Florence Pugh is is a once in a generational talent. Like it is. She I'm is. watching uh, the Little Drama Girl right now that uh, came out in 2018 on AMC Plus, uh, and it's on, or sorry, it's on Sundance now, but it came out on AMC. She is phenomenal in that series, and it's like she's 24, 22, 20, something like that, 23 when she's making this series. She's incredible, and she's going toe to toe with Michael Shannon and uh, Peter Skarsgård, uh, like it's no nobody's business. It's incredible, and she does the mm. accent. She's it's it's she's a phenomenal actress. So you're right to bring up Black Widow, and I'm certainly they were I'm certainly certain that they were like we're not going to because um, Ray Winstone's Russian accent is horrible in Black Widow, absolutely horrible. Never ask an Irish or Scottish person to do a Russian accent or do any kind. Of, it's what are you really talking about? Sean Connery's Russian accent in Hunt for yeah. an October. <laughs> I was, somebody said that one time in a conversation. He was Russian by way of uh, of, um, of Edinburgh. Of Edinburgh, yeah, Russian by way of Edinburgh. And I was like, oh my god, that's brilliant. Well, it, it, this oh. is it's such a funny thing because it doesn't matter. You know, I love Sean Connery in that movie, and it, it, that is what it is. <laughs> I love this. JMB says there's a hilarious story Matt Damon tells from that movie where Malkovich leans over the table and whispers to Damon that he, Malkovich, is a terrible actor. I think it's somewhere on the YouTube. So Malkovich says that about himself? Yeah, about himself. That's hilarious. <laughs> Which is no surprise. Uh, Justin Toner sent in a donation as well. Thank you, Justin. He says, hi, John and Steve. I also enjoyed the villains in Iron Man 2, especially Rockwell as Justin Hammer. I agree on Tony being more of a jerk ass. Rhodey becoming War Machine is a plus. I love ScarJo's Black Widow, but was introducing Black Widow in this one a mistake? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, was this the right movie to introduce Black Widow, Steve? What do you think? Well, what I think is so interesting, and you see it because we didn't talk about the Iron Man tag at the end of, of Incredible Hulk. Oh, right. Sure, yes. And and that we're going to have the first, what I will say is like real post-credit moment with, when they find Thor's hammer yeah. at the end of this movie is I so remember being in the theater and seeing this and going, 
are they really going to do it? Like, is it really <laughs> like, are they, is this for real yeah, going to happen? The Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, so, so I actually do. I, I, I do think it was a good introduction of black widow. I think the problem is that they didn't do anything with her for a decade. You know, yeah, good point. you know, good. she was to, I, not, that, not that he didn't do anything with her. She appeared in the movies, but they didn't give her a singular movie. Right? Yeah. 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 It's a great. Point. And, and she, she didn't have as many great moments as she could have had. Right. You know, Right, right. Um, looking at this movie also, what do you think about John Favreau's direction here in this movie? Certainly we had, you know, ACDC and him flying into that stuff and the battles with him and with War Machine out there. And then the final battle, of course, when they're fighting off all the different uh, versions uh, uh, of those uh, computer-induced robots or created, computer-created robots, all of that. Did you like the direction of this movie? Because John Favreau... Had apparently had a number of battles uh, with the studio about making the movie, and this is why he didn't come back to direct Iron Man three, which is why Shane Black slid in there. So, do you see that coming through? Because uh, that comes through in Age of Ultron. You can tell Joss Whedon is not have a good time directing that movie because the end result is not good overall. Did you sense that as you're watching this as a director that the direction in this film seemed a bit disjointed or not a hundred percent cohesive by the end of the movie? I think I'm going to say this in a weird way. I yeah. think as a director, John Favreau is a really good producer. Oh, oh interesting. And, he, and here's what I mean. That, please. So, so I think his ideas yeah. about what should be done are really good. And I think we're seeing that in the Mandalorian and the star Wars stuff Yeah, is yeah. that his, his, his looking at the project as a whole. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I also think you see it as like, I love dinner for five. That he did for years. Yeah, that was a is great that show. As a concept, that's a really great show, and he knew what it was supposed to be. Yeah. And I and I like the chef show that he does with Roy Choi. Um, oh yeah, right. Um, and is that he has really good ideas, yeah. like a concept of this is what we should be doing. But as a nuts and bolts director, he's just good. You yeah. know, yeah. like he, I don't think he's ever directed anything where I went, this is a great film. You know, I think he's that's my feeling. Okay. I mean, that's what I say. It's like I think Iron Man one is a B plus movie. Yeah. You know, okay. I think, you know, that I mean, if you go through his films, they are good. He's mm -hmm. he understands how to do it. He understands the craft. I've never there, I can't think of moments in a John Favreau movie where I went, Whoa, that is beautifully done. I don't okay. Yeah, that's my feeling. What's your feeling? Okay. No, I, I think I think he's a damn good director. Do I think have I had any of those moments? No, I have not. So it's a valid point you bring up because I love Elf. Um, I mean, that's a Christmas classic. It's tough to do a modern Christmas classic nowadays. And that one was an, was an immediate. Christmas I think that classic. might be his best movie. Yeah. I was just going to ask you if you would put Elf at the top of the Favreau mountain of movies. I want to look up his whole list of films now. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, yeah. Justin Thoreau writing this one is really interesting too. We should kind of touch on here. I mean, an actor who does write a number of movies as well. Interesting, interesting take to go into the darker side with Justin Thoreau uh, as, as the writer in this. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Lion King, Jungle Book. I think Jungle Book is fantastic. Chef is a great small movie. Everybody hated Cowboys and Aliens. Iron Man 2 is okay. Iron Man is great. Elf is great. Made is weird for a debut, but it's still good. It's not great. And Zathura, I've never seen. So, I've never seen Zathura. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, I think Chef is a nice 
smaller film, as yes. you say. Yeah, I'm looking at this list. I never saw Lion King, okay. um, which because I heard it was terrible. Uh, and I never saw Jungle Book, although I've heard it's pretty good. It is. Um, yeah, I, I'm looking at this list. I think Elf is the is the wow. best film here. Right. There we go. Small A lot word. of people people love Iron Man. I think I think yeah. I'm in the minority of going. I like I totally like it. Yeah. But I don't love it as much as everyone else does. Fair enough. So let's talk about uh, what do you think about Gwyneth Paltrow? We, we have uh, um, here as a younger woman in, in Scarlett Johansson here as Black Widow kind of treated a little bit like treated a lot like a piece of meat and objectified here. Still has her moments of kicking ass. She certainly has her sequences where she is very much the couple of really good ones. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The fights, they're all great. Uh, and her choking out happy is hilarious. Um, but what about Pepper? You know, in the first movie, we got Pepper being involved in a little bit of the corporate espionage to help Tony to undercut Obadiah Stane and, and all of this. Do you like how she's now kind of in charge of stuff, but still dealing with a little bit of Tony's antics and, and all of this? Did you like how they used her in this movie? So, A, I've never been the biggest Gwyneth Paltrow fan. I know she's a divisive okay actor uh so i liked her i like her in the first movie yeah i don't think they do much with her i really yeah. like the idea that he makes her ceo yeah. and i do like the there's like the moment where he's saying i need you and she's saying i need you to leave like yeah. i like some but she doesn't have much of an arc in this film you know okay. what i mean there's just there's not much other than and, and you know what's weird is it's that she is the codependent, uh, kind of somewhat abused partner of yes. this fucked up guy, yeah, who point. is who is acting out in all these terrible ways, and she's trying to deal, and she's trying to deal with it. Well, and this is what I mean by he doesn't really resolve things emotionally; he just mm -hmm. gets a cure, yeah. and therefore, I mean, there's no resolution with Pepper. No, like there's nothing that happens with her, uh, you know, which bleeds into the next film, which is why I think they use the next film to kind of uh, resolve that. And, and kind of rectify that you know and i like iron man 3 i know it's not everybody's cup of tea but i like it and but i certainly enjoy sam rockwell better here as justin hammer than guy pierce's character in iron man 3 i would say that it's so funny i i saw i only saw iron man 3 once i have yeah. almost i remembered not liking it when i saw <laughs> it in the theater and i don't really i remember kind of little pieces of it but yeah. i don't really remember that movie very well at all fair enough fair enough um let's see is there anything else we, oh yeah az bathroom says hey now i didn't hate cowboys and aliens <laughs> lol well a lot of people did man look at that box office nobody my, see that my, my, i know i've told you before that my theory of watching movies on airplanes is it makes good movies 25 percent worse and it makes cheesy action movies 25 percent better <laughs> um and so that's where i usually so i watch cowboys uh, versus aliens on an airplane yeah it did not make it if it did make it 25 cent percent better that is a really bad movie <laughs> <laughs> now what do we think about the late great gary shanley here the hail hydra moment did you like did you like that kind of situation did, i mean so well first of all he's there in the movie as the senator was that a nice surprise for you i love gary shanley yeah um and i think he's i think he's good in it i yeah. I, I the hail hydra moment is weird um but i like it what do you think yeah, I liked it. I like him. I enjoyed him in the movie and and, and what he did. And you know, Gary's always I mean, Gary's just, he's just an interesting cat for sure. Until, yeah, you know, obviously he passed away. Shame for us. But like so much, uh, such an interesting legacy and seeing pop up in an MC movie. MCU movie was such a surprise to me. So, yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, Cheadle or uh, Terrence Howard. So as an actor, yeah, not not as Rhodey. OK, I like Don Cheadle. I think John Cheadle's just a 
a really good actor. I think Terrence Howard is an interesting actor who is good, really good sometimes. That's yeah. my feeling about him. Okay. I, I think the scene in the airplane where he's dealing with Iron Man with, with Tony in the first movie, yeah. Terrence Howard, I think that's maybe the best roadie scene. You know what I mean? That's where you actually see their friendship. Yeah. I think what they give Don Cheadle to do in this movie, they don't give him much to do. Yeah. You know, and so it's like he's a just trying to settle down his asshole drunk friend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then he's helpless and frozen in a suit. You know what I mean? I, I think War Machine has been one of the least developed characters yeah. in, in the MCU for me. Yeah. Mackenzie's right. The Hail Hydra mode is a winter soldier. I was more mentioning the fact that it's connected to Gary Shanley. Gary Shanley coming in. We find out later he's a member of Hydra. Should have been clear about that. Fair point, Mackenzie. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I think I'm of the other camp. I like Terrence Howard better as Rhodey than I do Don Cheadle. And I think this was a con. My belief is this was a conscious decision for them to move away from Terrence Howard, who, by the way, was paid more than Robert Downey Jr. I know that's crazy because of him coming off a of hustle and flow, and Robert Downey Jr. had not established himself. Out of the the all the addiction issues and all of that stuff, there was a high insurance policy on him in this Marvel movie in, in Iron Man 2008's Iron Man, and certainly he knocked it out of the park. Yeah. But when the time came to negotiate, you know, there's this, all these uh, rumors around whether he asked for or to be paid higher money again. Terrence Howard did in comparison to the raise they gave to Robert Downey Jr., kind of like what Rob Lowe did in West Wing. So I can understand walking away in that situation because you still think you're yeah. The man, you know, and I get it and I totally get it. But I also think Rhodes outshines Tony Stark in the first movie. He's not a guy to be pushed around. He is every bit Tony Stark's equal in that movie, if not his better in another sequences. And so they bring in someone like Don Cheadle. Now, Don Cheadle's a damn good actor. He, he can be quite scary if you saw him in Devil in a Blue Dress and what have you. He's got elements to him, but he's not combustible like Terrence Howard. There's a danger to Terrence Howard. Hmm. He can go to a number of places. And I think that Rhodes would have been more interesting to have in the MCU than this Rhodes, which is essentially kind of Tony Stark's... How can I say this in, a right, in the right way? Well, I don't want to get in trouble, but I kind of see him as Tony Stark's kind of, you know, uh, eager best friend. You know, I just want to be part of it. I just want to be in it. And... Tony, he in no way, Don Cheeto, in this portrayal of Rhodes, overshadows Tony Stark or overshadows Iron Man in any way. Iron Man gives him the suit. He's the one that gets his back broken, his legs. So that's even, even more symbolic that they break Rhodes' back so he's even more dependent on Tony Stark and his technology. Whereas I, I think Terrence Howard would have fought that because Terrence Howard, so they wanted Robert Downey Jr. to shine. They wanted Tony Stark to shine. You can't have his best friend be better than him in some in a lot of areas, be a better person in a lot of areas, uh, and and even at times even a better actor in a lot of areas. And I think that's why they went this route with uh, with um, uh, Don Cheadle. And I also don't believe Robert Downey Jr. had nothing to do with that decision. I think he might have looked at it and said, hey, I don't want to be this guy. I, I, I don't outshine this guy. Give me someone I can outshine. And that's my personal belief. Having known people in Hollywood, having known actors and actresses in Hollywood, the egos that are involved there this what? feels like it yeah exactly so what's what's hilarious about this is this is literally exactly the conversation we had for betty ross because oh, oh yeah right. well because you're talking about the actors and for me yeah. it's all about the script because yeah, yeah, yeah. what did they give don Cheadle to do 
they didn't give him anything interesting to do. Right. Whereas Terrence Howard had interesting scenes to play. Yes. You know, he kept, he kept, as, as JMB says, he kept pushing back on Stark. Right. right. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Don Cheadle, it's like he's pushing back a little bit, but it's kind of like, and he doesn't have a personality. No. Like, and may, and we could say that's the actor, but I, and, and, but they haven't, what is a moment that they gave Don Cheadle where you went, oh, that was interesting. Yeah. You know, he yeah. doesn't have those things. He's like, a he's a warmer guy. He's a more likable guy. And that's what right. they want. Well, and they just, I mean, he's just like the other guy in a, in a metal suit, you know, yeah. like it, there's just, I, I'm c- kind of racking my brain to think of a moment that's really interesting with him. There's, I think in civil war, there's a couple of maybe quips that are kind mm-hmm. of interesting, Yeah, but you don't get a sense for his, like, he's the military guy. So you could, you could have gone like, yeah. he knows military tactics in a way that Tony doesn't, or he is more disciplined and that allows him to do whatever. Yeah. You know, to make him, wow, this guy's impressive or scary or interesting or funny or something. Yeah. He doesn't have, there's not much to his character at all. I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, all right. Well, any final words on Iron Man 2 with the Incredible Hulk? We've been talking for an hour and a half, Steve. Is there anything more we need to add to this conversation here about both of these movies? You know how when you had comics and you were reading them and occasionally you would get a comic that was... You, a lot of them would be just kind of okay, and yeah. you and you were happy to read the latest Batman comic or the latest Spider Man comic or the oh that's a that's an okay one of those. And I'm not gonna say that I read a lot of comics while maybe sitting on the toilet, but there were a, maybe I did, and some of them were like that was a perfectly good one of those. Yeah, and then every once in a while you'd see Watchmen or Dark Knight or like just an incredible comic where you're like oh my god this yeah. is like a work of art. Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 2 are kind of like, yeah, it was a, it was an okay comic. Right. You know? Right. I wasn't I wouldn't be unhappy if I had gotten that comic in my bag from the comic book store, <laughs> but I also wouldn't pull it out and read it again too often. You know what I mean? That's yeah, my I feeling. That's that's an excellent excellent way to put it. I got you know, I read it, certainly enjoyed revisiting the characters in this story, but then when it was over I was ready for something better. Yeah. And so yeah, I think that's an excellent way to put it. I'd never thought of it in that context but that totally works. Like they aren't terrible so that they were like, you just were speeding through it or you threw the comic down and didn't want to read it anymore. Uh, But it wasn't so great that you're like, Oh my God, I can't wait to read this again. Or I'm going to put this in a special place on my shelf. So don't, don't forget to read it again. That's a fantastic way to put it for sure. I'll I'll tell you what one is, I think is terrible. And I, I cannot remember. You probably did a spoiler review on the geek buddies. I don't remember. Yeah. I finally watched eternals. Oh yeah, I think that thing's terrible. I agree with you hundred percent, my man. Yeah, I, I, Michael liked it. Uh, I didn't like it. Shannon was in the middle. I like mm. the way it looks. I oh, think sure. it looks really neat. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of actors I like in that movie. Sure, but I just like what the hell is going on? I don't like any of these characters. I'm not involved. I'm completely bewildered by the conflict. I don't the the action sequences didn't interest me very much. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it, it is that is that movie was. That that I think that is the worst Marvel movie for me, Ooh, and it's the reason it's the worst reviewed movie in the MCU right now. Everybody tried to play, oh, it was a female director, or because she's a director of color. No, 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 no. It's not a good movie. It's just yeah. not a good movie, and you can like it. It's your opinion. Sure. But look at the reviews from critics, even that weren't that positive about that movie. Introducing thirteen new characters in the MCU when we're used to, you know. Spending some time with a character, getting to know the character, getting to see the character, just introduce 13 of them in that way or 12, however many it was. 
um, without giving enough of a background to all of them. Why am I supposed to connect to these characters? The only reason I connect to any of them is because I like the actors playing them. But you didn't do the job. You talk about script. You didn't do the job yeah. of the script, introducing these characters and letting me understand their motivations, their impulses, their desires. And don't give me, well, they didn't have time. Well, then don't fucking introduce 13 new characters. Just introduce five or yeah. six. Introduce the ones you have time to introduce so that we can get to know them. What was the rush? What was the rush? It, it, it is absolutely possible to introduce that many characters, um, but it is really, really hard. Yes. I mean, like, like I think of like a Toy Story movie introduces a ton of characters. Yeah. And you give each one of them has like, that's that character's moment. Oh, I yeah. get them. Right. And they didn't do that at all. I've spent the whole movie going like, wait, who is, what is their relationship? And yeah. what are they... I don't know. I, I was so confused. To me, the Barry Keegan character, the Barry Keegan actor, that character that he's played, that's the character to me. You're looking at it, you're like, wait, okay, so you introduce him, he can manipulate people's minds, and then he gets upset at one point and then just takes off and still builds a kind of like a, jungle, a kingdom in the jungle where right. he's controlling people's minds. So in essence, he's undercutting everything he said he was against and it just didn't make any sense. And what was he upset about? What are you, you didn't build any of that up. I did. Well, and, and, yeah, yeah. I still yeah. don't understand what was going on with Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. I, right. Exactly. She's got some kind of. She's like Steve Buscemi writing the fucking nuclear warhead on the shop of the, of the <laughs> astronaut. She's got space madness. And space sickness, or what? A space, or whatever. Yeah, space madness. Whatever it is that they said. That's essentially what she's got. And you're like, when did we introduce this? Well, and how did it get solved? And what's what? Why is it happening? Yeah, yeah it's it's it. There's so much in that movie where I was like, well, and and you did. It has like the, yeah. uh, the triple reversal of bad guy, like where you go like, oh, we're trying to do this, and this is the good guy. And this is, oh no no no, this is the good guy, and this is the bad guy. Oh no no no, wait, hold on a sec, we're yeah. gonna go back the other way. And it's like, well, I don't know who we're trying to. I don't know what we're trying to do here. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's yeah, not- and then yeah, and then you know Gemma Chan I think is a is a damn good actress, but I don't know if she was the right choice because I didn't sense the weight of what she was doing in the portrayal. And that could be about the script, as Steve has mentioned a number of times here, that the script didn't do her any favors. So and- what we're saying is, is that in 2031, when the cinephiles reviews the Eternals, On a it's live definitely going to be a live show. Yeah, well, yes. It is. <laughs> Uh, all right well let's get out of here thank you all so much for joining us for another brand new live episode here of the cinephiles live we do these every month ladies and gentlemen it is a way to give us a little bit of a break in doing these shows but also it's a way for us to connect with all of you and have interactive conversations and certain the chat was very very lively thanks for the stream labs thanks for the super chats that you did send in i hope you enjoyed our answers and our conversations about both of these films iron man 2 and the incredible hulk uh steve any final words before we wrap up about this no (laughs) okay there we go uh and let us know what you thought about it if you revisited these movies let us know what you thought about our our thoughts and and the things we had to say about both of these movies down in the comment section below even if we talked about let us know what you thought about rounders let us know what you thought about internals all of that down in the comment section below remember to like on this video share it on your social media as well because when you share it on your social media more people may come to be a part of the cinephiles and we want to keep growing our audience as much as possible every single day we do anything with the cinephiles steve another fun time please let people know where they can find you where they can find the cinephiles on social media so they can find the cinephiles at cine underscore files on twitter the cinephiles podcast on instagram i'm sr morris on twitter sr morris one on instagram by the way 
If you want to hear the cinephiles do rounders really soon, the best place for you to go is if if we have a bunch of people go to patreon.com slash the cinephiles right now and pledge some money and say, I want rounders. John and I will totally move that movie up in the schedule. We both like it. Uh, If you like Star Trek, my show Enterprise Incidents, just today we released our episode on one of the most popular episodes of Star Trek of all time. The Trouble with Tribbles. (laughs) And not only did we release that episode, but we had the actual writer of The Trouble with Tribbles as our guest for a three-hour conversation going into the show that he wrote 55 years ago. Wow! So that was really exciting. That's out right now. And in two weeks, you will get to hear the outlaw John Roca on Journey to Babel. So so check out Enterprise Incidents. And uh, I think that's it for me. What a fantastic conversation that was. We recorded it a few days ago. So much fun, uh, and went back and rewatched a few scenes after having spoken to you too. So that's that's one of the great things about sitting down to talk to Steve and Scott about things uh, with uh, Star Trek. It's always great to reexamine it. So yeah, definitely coming up soon, and definitely go and uh, subscribe and listen to Enterprise Incidents. As for me, you can follow me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram and TikTok. I'm going to be putting up some reviews, some interviews, little things like that on TikTok. Uh, so come and follow me there. And if you enjoy being on Twitch, follow me on Twitch, The Outlaw Nation. Been doing a lot of watch-alongs starting this week. I'll be doing some movie watch-alongs connected to Amazon Prime. Could be Comedy Mondays, Westerns Wednesdays, Samurai Saturdays, all of that happening. I'm going to like theme it up like crazy. So come and enjoy that stuff with me. And of course, we're going to do a watch-along Super Bowl next week as well. As for my podcasts, Please remember the top 10 and the Geek Buddies out there for you to enjoy. We just did our live review of a uh, uh, spoiler review of episode six of the Book of Boba Fett with Laura Kelly and also dropped our recent Geek Buddies episode today for you all to go with us to. And then my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca says, go and see all the stuff we got going on there. All right. Thanks everybody for joining us. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand new live episode of the Cinephiles Live here from John Roca. And And Steve Morris. I thought you were giving me a clue.